Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Coming to you for a special midweek podcast, and uh, we kind of got a cool little uh, interview that we're going to do here today. Uh, Peyton, you want to introduce our guest? Yep. Our guest is Drew Dick, and he has written a book called, <laughs> I want to say Yearning for Tigers, but I know that's totally wrong. <laughs> it is Yawning at Tigers, and it is number one. Drew, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks. Glad to be here. You know, uh, this is one of the coolest book covers I've ever seen. Do you like Thank it? Thank you. Yeah. It's like a big <laughs> tiger face. Yeah, it, it's pretty cool, man. It, it's original, and uh, to me it stands out. I got a notice about this book, and I was like, man, I can't wait to read this. And um, real quick, a little bit about Drew. Well, before you get to that, let me just say that what I like best about his cover is you can actually tell what the title is, unlike other books that you and I are familiar with. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, and uh, Drew, we didn't go over this with you, but whenever you mention your book on here, the title, you have to say cha-ching. Yeah. That's the rule on the show. Oh, and uh, Oh, I see, because it's like a little promotional thing. It is. Yeah, and it's Absolutely. just fun, because I mention my book all the time. That's what he's <laughs> trying to bait me right now into saying church zero, cha-ching. And, <laughs> because it's a horrible <laughs> cover. Cha-ching. Yeah, and, you know, everyone looks at the cover... Bad. Yeah, everyone looks at the cover and goes, church huh? And uh, anyways, <laughs> that was just a shameless plug on your interview for my book. Thanks, Pete. Hey, Thanks. That's, that's all good. Doing my part hey, of your podcast. So we're, we're looking at the, uh, the book here. I'm looking at it. And the title, again, it's Drew Dick, Yawning at Tigers. And, and here's a great subtitle. You can't tame God, so stop trying. Um, now, Drew, real quick, a little bit about him. He's worth listening to. Number one, this is a well-written book. I polished off the end of it last night. And, you know, not surprisingly, it's a good book because Drew is the managing editor 
of Leadership Journal. So he's a writer. So you know when you when you find a guy who writes, particularly for magazines, periodicals, he's going to be a good writer. Because it's a lot harder to write a good article than it is to write a good book. Because a book you can put a lot of filler. An article has to be good. So Drew, man, it is an honor to have you on here. Tell us a little bit about uh, what prompted you to write this book. Hmm. Well, thank you, first of all, for all the kind words. Um, I um, really was inspired to write this book by what I saw missing in the church um, and in my own uh, spiritual life, frankly. Uh, basically, I, I, I started to realize I grew up in the church, uh, in the evangelical world. My dad was a pastor, and so I really consider myself an insider. Um, and I just started to notice that there was a lack uh, of a sense of God's holiness, his otherness, some of his dangerous characteristics. And you, you see this in the way that we worship, the way that we preach. I'd like to joke that a lot of uh, worship songs could be sung to God or a girlfriend. Um, <laughs> uh, most sermons focus uh, almost exclusively on God's love. And listen, I, I, we need to be reminded of God's love. I'm not saying that we don't need to talk about that. Obviously, we do. Uh, but I, I fear sometimes that we're really one-sided in the way that we view God and we kind of neglect talking about his holiness, otherness, even, you know, his wrath. Um, of course, I can see why those are kind of culturally unpopular topics. And yet I think we need to teach the full counsel of God and portray God um, as the Bible does. Yeah, and what was great, I, I loved at one point you wrote, and I have this problem as a writer too, because whenever you have something to say and you're kicking at something a bit, you run the risk of coming off like the Quaker oatmeal guy. And I love at sure. one point you're like, look, man, I'm not, I know I might be coming off as a curmudgeon, but there's kind of like, you know, there's a time where every leader gets to the point where he feels a little bit like Jesus, where, you know, the hackles go up on the back of your neck and you're like, all right, man, it's time to overturn some tables. I need to get your attention here. And I felt you doing that with a great deal of humility, though, at the same time, which is important. You were turning over some tables, and what, what was great, what I particularly liked, was you mentioned that when you and your wife were a little bit younger, uh, you were nomads before kids, and that you would hop mm. into your uh, VW Beetle, and you guys would move around. Of course, <laughs> you were pursuing a writing career, um, blah, 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 but uh, you mentioned, you walked through the stages. You know, when I went to uh, the mega church, this is what I experienced. When I went to the warehouse church, this is what I experienced. Then we thought, hey, well, you know, maybe we should get some liturgy and light some. And so we went to the traditional church. And it was great how you mentioned all of the characteristics of all these different churches. But still you felt, you know, where's God's whole, where's this wild, unpredictable, untamable God that I've read about in the scripture? Mm. Yeah, yeah, that was just something. In fact, it was my wife who kind of put her finger on it eventually. She just said there's no sense of the sacred or of God's holiness mm -hmm. um, in these various contexts. Uh, so it's not just evangelicals or just high church or just seeker-sensitive. You know, I mean, and I'm not saying any of those models are, are wrong, but I think um, almost collectively we've sidelined some of those characteristics of God. And I understand, I get it, right, because you don't want to come off as some kind of crazy fundamentalist. Um, I certainly didn't want to do that. I remember being in a, a church service where uh, the pastor invited, I think I mentioned this in the book, but the pastor invited people just to call out attributes of God. And they started coming from the crowd. You know, one person's like loving, tender, kind, loving, all these, you know. Um, and I'm, I'm sitting there going, yeah, that's all true, but what about 
like holy and uh, just. And, you know, <laughs> and I was yeah. going to say something, and my wife said, "No, don't. You're going to sound like the crazy fundamentalist." But yeah. I just I start to realize that yeah, there's something missing here, and <laughs> and I think it, it kind of shortchanges our experience of God when yeah. we um, neglect certain attributes. Absolutely. It's kind of like, you know, there's people yelling out love and compassion. Everyone's going, hmm. And then, we, you know, God's severity. Uh, and then it's like the crickets, <laughs> you know, chirping like when Daffy exactly. Duck, you know. You remember, remember, remember that old cartoon where, like, they're on the vaudeville stage and Bugs Bunny dances and everyone's, like, crying and roaring. And then Daffy Duck gets on there and he does his little trick and there's, like, crickets chirping. That's how it would be. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and Usher comes and gets you out of there. I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and and what I noticed on this was what you were what you were really striving for wasn't a relationship with the Bible. And of course, you're a Bible man. I mean, I'm looking. You know, sorry, I didn't mean you're a Bible man. Like that's your no, not trying like to your identity here, folks. All right. Let's uh, <laughs> not start new rumors. Drew Dick did not play Bible man back in the '80s. What I'm saying is. Uh, you know, you're you're obviously a dude that has a high view of scripture. And as I'm reading this, I'm like, this what it comes down to, I think, is scriptural integrity. It's an integrity. You're not pursuing a relationship with uh, the Bible. You're pursuing a relationship with the God of the Bible, and that's kind of what you're looking at there. Yeah, yeah, precisely. And, and you know, I, yeah, I think. Um, you know, as evangelicals, I, I identify as an evangelical, and we like to think that we have a high view of scripture. Um, and yet, when you examine the ways that we treat Scripture, I think the real giveaway is how we teach it to kids, right? Because, you, I mean, we're content to mangle it. We extract dubious moral lessons from stories. We gloss over anything that's a little bit uh, disconcerting, and I understand why, right? We don't want to give kids nightmares and that kind of thing. Um, but often the way we treat the Bible is is very one-sided, even as we say, oh, we're not like, you know, those liberals or, you know, people that think the Bible's just a bunch of fairy tales, and yet when we actually engage with it, uh, we're very selective in the kinds of things that we teach. Yeah, absolutely. I like how you say, and, and I want to read a couple quotes out of the book here. Um, one of them says, The Bible describes God in sobering terms. Among the myriad titles given, he is called a consuming fire, judge of the all earth, or of all the earth, and Lord of hosts, a title that portrays God poised for battle, at the head of a heavenly army. In addition to these fearsome descriptions, the Bible stresses God's discon- oh, sorry, discontinuity with humankind. God is not the human that he should, is almost a refrain in Scripture. We might imagine that God is a sort of Superman, just like you or me, but with additional powers. But that kind of thinking betrays a dangerous illusion about God's nature. The truth is that God is radically different from us in degree and kind. He is ontologically dissimilar, wholly other, dangerous, alien, wholly wild. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I even stuck in some big words there. Um, but yeah, I, I think we do forget that. You know, I, I like to think of uh, this in terms of um, the disciple John. You know, uh, he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's depicted laying his head on Jesus' chest. And so talk about an intimate relationship with Jesus. And there's nothing obviously wrong about applying intimate language to our relationship with Jesus. But then that same disciple, when he sees the post-resurrected Christ on the island of Patmos, he's writing Revelation, it says he falls at his feet as though dead. And so I think we do the first half of that equation pretty well, snuggling mm -hmm. up to Jesus. Yeah. Uh, it's 
second half of the equation often uh, when it comes to Jesus, God, that we miss. We don't have that sobriety, that sense of God's uh, overwhelming holiness. And just the fact that he is above and beyond us. Uh, he is, he's not a buddy. He's not like us. Uh, there is a huge yawning chasm. And that's why the gospel, incidentally, is such great news, right? Is Because God's bridged that chasm. He's, he's reached down to us. He's done what we could never do for ourselves. And, but unless yeah. we understand that there is that gulf in the first place, then the gospel, I think, loses its meaning. Absolutely. You, you can't understand grace unless you understand God's wrath. And that's what people are trying mm. to, uh, to preach nowadays. There's almost this God that loves you to the point where uh, people are like, so what? You know, God loves everybody. Now, that was what yeah. uh, Rich Mullins once said. Yeah, God loves me so what? He loves everybody. But it wasn't personal. I think you have to come under, you know, the 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 the, the personal wrath. You have to experience that condemnation. Like, oh man, you know, I'm I'm undone. You know, yep. for that yeah. grace to mean something. And I liked, and I was wondering if you could tell the story. You opened the book with the first time you took. And by the way, you know, uh, full props. For naming your son Athanasius, that is just so <laughs> diehard rock and roll, man. But you know, so you take the ocean for the first time. You know, you're you're living in Chicago, and uh, you take yeah. him to the ocean on your uh, ten year anniversary, right? That was that was Hawaii. That's right. That's the first time yeah. you've seen the, the the ocean, and tell that story, man, because that was such a good uh, visual picture of exactly what we're talking about. Thanks. Yeah, I remember. Um, yeah, it was our 10-year anniversary. We're in Hawaii, um, and uh, I think my wife was getting ready or something. So I thought I'll take the little guy, who's eight months old at the time, down to the beach, which put a real damper on our vacation, by the way. But anyway, uh, so I thought I'll take him down to the beach, not so quite like the ocean for the first time. <laughs> exactly. No, lot lot of uh, you know things you can't do with a baby in tow. Um, but I thought you know I'll take him down to the ocean. He he might appreciate this. I walk him down there, and there are big waves coming, is crashing uh, on the beach. And I didn't anticipate his reaction, though I probably should have. He burst into tears, and I remember he kind of, you know, hid his his face against my shoulder and started to cry. And then I realized, well, yeah, I mean, the ocean's beautiful, but I think we get used to it, and we know it's not a threat to us, especially if we're standing on the beach. Um, but it's also dangerous, right? And I thought, what a great metaphor for how God is. Mm. Uh, the ocean is, is, is inspires introspection, and a lot of people have written beautiful things about it. And yet, if you go out into the ocean without the proper training or equipment, it can kill you. And mm. I think that's a good way uh, for how we should see God, uh, that he, he isn't to be trifled with. And even though he has you know, extended grace to us, um, we have to remember he's still the same God uh, that we read about uh, throughout the Bible in places like Isaiah 6 and and the God who shows up and, and absolutely overwhelms and terrifies people. Uh, so, yeah, that was kind of a helpful way for me to think uh, about God. But, Drew, that, that doesn't fill churches, man. Yeah, that, well, that's true. You know, it's, it's, um, <laughs> it, you're right. It's sort of, of like... Of course, being a punk, right? Because I totally agree with you, but, you know. Yeah. No, it, it is a tough kind of countercultural message. And like you said before, you know, when we tell people, oh, God loves you, or even Jesus loves you, it doesn't mean a whole lot. I think that's increasingly the case because, and I don't know if you'll agree with this, but I, I really do feel like we're moving into a post-Christian society, Absolutely. and we're getting to the place where people have just, you know, um, total biblical illiteracy. And so imagine if I came up to you and I said, hey, listen, um, uh, Peyton, uh, Zeus loves you, man. He loves you so much. He wants to be your best friend. And you go, well, what? 
uh, yeah, okay, I've heard of Zeus. So isn't that Greek mythology or something? I mean, you know, you'd have no yeah. kind of context. It wouldn't mean anything. You probably don't even believe in Zeus. So I think sometimes we have to back up and we need to say, okay, this is who God is, the biblical God. You know, it's probably a lot different than your notion of God. Same with Jesus, by the way. Um, he's not just the cool guy that will have a beer with you. He may be that as well. But he, there's a lot more to Jesus that you need to know. And um, until we can tell you, you know, have it mean something that he loves you, we've got to back up and do some groundwork and, and tell you about this God and about this Jesus. Um, so I think it's a, you know, it's a, a teachable moment sometimes for people, but we have to do a lot more groundwork because ultimately, though, you know, some people think, well, man, if you if you lead with this kind of stuff and talk about God's holiness and otherness, that's going to freak people out and they're just going to run the other direction. I'm not so sure about that because I believe that people deep down are thirsty for transcendence. Mm. Uh, we live in a, in a time where it's tough to talk with a straight face about transcendence because a lot of people have dismissed the supernatural. And yet there is something deep down in each one of us that longs to stand in the presence of a holy and um, uh, incredibly powerful, majestic God. Yeah. And so I think if, if people see that reverence and that sort of um, sobriety we have about who God is, there is something attractive about that. You know, in my area at least, a lot of 20-somethings are flocking to churches that are deeply rooted in uh, tradition, you know, uh, Eastern Orthodox, Anglicanism, uh, Catholicism. And I think it's more than just the fact that they might like smells and bells. I think it's because when they walk into those spaces, they sense something of the sacredness of God, and they long for that. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, all all of our blockbusters in Hollywood, you know, they're they're not just these boring, mundane, you know, uh, you know you're not finding like people banging down the doors to go to a, a movie about a guy who discovers a cure for cancer. You know, we're 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 always seeing movies that are touching either kind of one of two themes: either being loved, which is a key thing in the scripture, um, finding meaningful relationships, however you want to term it, and then this sense of you know, coming to grips with uh, the majestic, you know, something that, you know, it could be a superhero blockbuster. It could be, you know, the epic. I mean, these are the, this is sure. the, the human longing of the heart. And the only place that the cry of the, of the heart is going to truly meet the epic uh, besides the realm of fantasy is, is in God himself. And that's what people, you know, like, like Lewis said, you know, when people are into fantasy, they're really, it's like a window to another world, you know, where, where God is, mm. that's what they're really craving. And, and and I yeah. think you bring this up now. One one of the cool things about you is that having been the managing editor of leadership, it's not like anyone can peg you, you know, pigeonhole you and say, oh, you know, this guy he's coming up with this stuff about wrath. He must be an old fashioned guy, you know. You have covered <laughs> now for a number of years ministry trends. I mean, no one does that like Leadership Magazine, um, things like Out of Her, you know, all, all the stuff that you're involved in. It's on the cutting <laughs> edge of ministry trends, what, what leaders are doing, guys are outside the box, um, analyzing that, analyzing culture. And so to have you, in, in one way, to have you uh, coming out with this, it, it actually, you know, it perks the ear up a bit. Hmm. Well, thanks. Yeah, we try to, of course, survey the ministry landscape and see what's going on out there um, and, and stay on the cutting edge. I don't know if we do that all the time. But, yeah, and I think, you know, when it comes to a topic like this, there are some folks that might think, okay, that's it, we need to sing old hymns, we need to resurrect, you know, yesteryear's language. And I don't think that's the answer either, even though I appreciate the impulse. 
uh, every few years, it seems, you hear about some dude getting up and reading uh, Jonathan Edwards' famous sermon, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And they'll just, you know, get up and read it to their church, uh, expecting that it's going to have the same effect that it did, what, you know, 250 years ago when Edwards did it. And, of course, it never does. People just think it's weird and archaic, and it doesn't have that effect at all. Um, and while I appreciate the motivation behind it, they want to kind of capture a sense of God's uh, holiness and, and judgment and wrath and, and wake people up to something like that. The problem is, you know, truth doesn't change, but the way that we express it and communicate it has to, right? Mm -hmm. So when Edwards got up and, and preached that sermon, he didn't use a sermon uh, from 200 years previous. He, he expressed God's truth in his time in appropriate ways. And we need to do the same thing in our time. And so I think we have a lot of great ways of expressing God's love. A lot of um, good metaphors. It's a, it's a well-worn path. But I don't think we've done such a good job when it comes to God's holiness. And so that's kind of what I was trying to do in the book. You know, I'm talking about the ocean. I'm talking about wild animals, even plutonium at one point, to express how dangerous <laughs> holy God is. But and, and who knows if I succeeded or not, but what we need, I believe, are fresh metaphors yeah. drawn from the world around us to, to tell people who are often post-Christian, secular people, um, who this God is. And that's no easy task. <laughs> no. So I, I don't envy preachers. Uh, you know, that, that's tough to get up and do that. And, and one of the things that I appreciate is you, you actually bring to it, you know, like I said, you, to me, some of the best writers out there are journalists, so like Philip Yancey, right? Um, oh, yeah, that dude, yeah. you know, it's like every paragraph is like, you feel like you're reading distilled quality, you know, um, yeah, he was yeah. just so good. We had him on here. It's um, Phil Yancey when you know him as well as we do. Yeah. Did I say, Phil? <laughs> no, did you didn't. Say, you didn't. Uh, I said Philip. Yeah. Do or, not call him Phil. I'm just saying he doesn't like that, but Phil I, I call him P we're so close. I call him P dog. So I don't know. <laughs> nice. you, know you guys are still stuck on, on Phil, but whatever. <laughs> That's so awesome. So you heard it, <laughs> the P dog, uh, and 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 so here's here's the uh, here's the reality is that you know you're bringing to it again a journalistic. Um, I, I laughed at a lot of the little things here, like when you say things like uh, every each year four or five people die at the Grand Canyon because of overly zealous photographic endeavors in search of the perfect <laughs> picture. These tourists disregard warning signs and venture. Now, that kind of stuff is all the way throughout the book to make your point. And again, that's something that a journalist does is he he has all these facts. He's observing life. And 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 I love the fact that this book, which could, you know, people could be, Tim, oh, man, this is going to be heavy. It's going to be slow going. It's going to be like heavy theology. Um, it's meaty. Yeah. And yet it's lively. And so you, you keep it going with metaphors, with imagery. Um, you flesh out exactly what you talked about, you know, the plutonium. We've got to change some of our metaphors. We've got to uh, use what's available. And and in fairness, you know, you actually, in the second half of the book, really talk about the love and compassion of God. And it has a far mm -hmm. richer meaning on the backside of the book than it did at the beginning. Hmm. Well, um, thank you. Good. I, I had to laugh, though, because Brilliant. towards the beginning, you mentioned... Um, <laughs> Mention your neighbor who rated all the the books on your shelves and pulled out the best quotes. I thought that was hot. Oh yeah, <laughs> he's hilarious. He just wanders over and you know, um, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said that there will be books in heaven, but your library in heaven will consist only of the books that you gave away. 
And so um, yeah, that's pretty good. Isn't it? Yeah. So if that's the case, a lot of the, the books that my neighbor has are, are going to be mine in heaven. Um, <laughs> he's a great guy, though. And he, uh, he, he, you know, I am happy to give is books away. Especially is it P-Dog? You live next to P-Dog. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I wish, man. <laughs> But yeah, thank you know, and and you know how it is writing a book. I mean, I remember getting done with it, and I'm like, oh man, this thing's just a big piece of crap. You know, you just turn on it, and <laughs> and you get too close to it. So it's really, it's really encouraging, honestly, to hear that. Um, and and my goal really was to make something that was lively and accessible because I think whenever I have picked up a book on God's holiness or something like that, it, it's um there's there can be good stuff in there, but it's it's tough sledding. You know it. It's often written in very academic, theological terms, yeah. a lot of jargon that prevents people from entering the conversation. And first of all, I'm not smart enough to do that. But second, I really wanted to write um, uh, for people that didn't have, that maybe didn't go to seminary, that, that um, weren't interested in slogging through uh, a, a thick theological textbook. And to make these things, though, that are so rich, God's transcendence and imminence come to life. And so that really was my yeah. goal. And I think for our church planners, man, that's something that they have to do all the time is take these biblical concepts and, you know, they're they're meeting with people where this might be their first contact with the gospel Mm. or the church. And they have to do that. You know, they have to boil it down like that. And so it's 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 good stuff. And yet a church planner, you know, he's not a he's not a pushover theologically. A church planner is a guy that's like, hey, man, I'm going to run at the gates of hell. So he's not there to put yeah. on a show. He's not there to entertain a bunch of Christians. He's out there, and he means business, man. He's in the trenches. So I highly recommend for all of our church planners to grab this book. It 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 is like Drew said. It's it's some distilled seminary for you here. Um, Drew has an MA in theology, so it's not like he didn't know what he's talking about. But uh, if you guys want to um, check this book out, uh, just to give you a flavor, after I read it. I felt if I were putting it on like my, you know, my my book reading uh, palette, I'd be like, mm, mm, good bouquet of uh, Francis Chan, a <laughs> little bit of uh, David Platt on the tip of my tongue, and uh, some some aftertaste of Philip Yancey. That that would be my, you know, kind of the bouquet that I'd be getting off that, and uh, maybe some Cracker Jack oh, thrown in there if I want to be like uh, <laughs> Gary Vaynerchuk, you know. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so so the book again, you know, thanks for coming on. Pete, anything you wanna you wanna say to Mr. Drew? No, I just been um enjoying this interview because I haven't uh, read the book yet, but I see it's on Audible. So I'm all about the Audible version. Heck yeah. Hey, I know, I noticed that too. It's some guy with this I'm like, What what's wrong with my golden pipes? Why didn't they ask me to read it, you know? Oh, they didn't some ask dude you? reading it. No, they didn't ask you? I'm I'm insulted. Oh, been good. <laughs> You got you, you got Drew. When I'm hearing you, you got like a Howie Mandel voice. You remind me of Howie Mandel. You kind of got his laugh too. That's funny. <laughs> Come on, uh, bust, bust out some Brooke Shields as a baby. Come on, yeah. <laughs> hit me with it. Next time, next time. Okay. So, so uh, hey, in, I want to I want to say one thing though about church planters. Can I really quickly? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, in my um, role here at leadership. I really feel, I believe what we do is important, and yet we're second string. I have huge admiration for people that are in the trenches uh, being pastors. And then, if you want to think of my hierarchy, I'm thinking like pastors are up there, and then the church planters 
are even above that because those are the guys and gals that are on the front lines in the trenches slugging it out. It's like being like, I don't know, special forces or something. And I just have so much admiration, so much appreciation uh, for the folks that are doing that. They're really the frontliners. And when I think about the future of the faith and the church, especially here in the Western world, uh, that's what makes me optimistic. There's a lot that makes me pessimistic. But when I think of the the church planters out there and and some of the ones that I know that are just rock stars, in my opinion, uh, it makes me optimistic. That's awesome. Yeah, and you definitely have a mission's heart. I mean, that really comes through. I enjoyed, you know, kind of traveling, globetrotting around the world with you a bit, reading this book. Um, and, and when you <laughs> shared about Mama Maggie, which I won't give that away, but I mean, that was really powerful in the book. Um, yeah. You shared about her and, and that you were haunted for days. And I know Pete and I have had that experience. We've talked to people on this podcast that, uh, you know, uh, people that, uh, <laughs> we talked to one guy. He was a, he was a black guy in the South. Um, KKK tried to run him out. We had another guy who, um, wow. You know, was, uh, we, had, we interviewed, uh, Saeed's, uh, wife, uh, and, and sister. Oh, wow. And, That's um, awesome. we, yeah. yeah, we've, we've interviewed some people and it, it, Pete and I have just been stunned, yeah. you know, and, and, and we can relate to that when you're saying that. And so, you know, you, you put a lot of frontline stuff in here, which for me as a church planner really liven that up. And, uh, so we okay. got to see some of your cool. art on that, man. So that's my Very training, cool. We don't edit that out. It's kind of big. <laughs> I thought that was like, okay, that's the end. You know, the train, it's, instead of that's music, the, the train comes on. That's a button Pete presses <laughs> to tell me to shut up. <laughs> now you know this on your podcast. But anyways, hey, um, again, it's uh, Yawning at Tigers. It's on Amazon.com. You can get it on Audible. And uh, Drew, thanks again for coming on, man. Hey, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Well, hey, this has been the Church Planner Podcast reminding you that if you want to reach the ones that nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music.